Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. I am a little congested this morning, so if my voice sounds a little weird, sorry, that's just what comes with the territory when California decides to rain everywhere. The book of Philippians is a letter written by Paul to the church at Philippi. He is in prison in Rome in his first imprisonment during this time. And he writes, and in verses 3 through 8, he enumerates or lists the good things he remembers about his time in that church and the people in that church. And the interesting thing about Philippians is it's very easy to skip over because it's basically two pages in any Bible. It's only four chapters, and it's easy to skip over. But what Paul does when he's talking about the people at that church and he is instructing them is he is exposing or showing Christian attitudes, Christian beliefs that every Christian should have. And so we can look at this and say, well, I don't know anybody like this. Well, you're supposed to look at this and look at yourself. And say, do I know myself like this? Is, am I doing things that would cause people to remember me? And so he starts by saying, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you. Thank my God is one word in the Greek. It's Eucharisto. And if you say, wait a minute, that sounds like Eucharist. Sounds like the Lord's Supper. And it is. He's using the same word that is used for the Lord's Supper as a thank you for the people of Philippi for his remembrances. And you say, that's odd, you know, he's not thanking them. He's not saying thank you for being nice. He's actually thanking God for his work through Christ on the cross, which brought salvation to the people of Philippi, which is why they are the way they are. So he's ultimately thanking God for his salvation through Christ because he knows that his remembrance of Philippi would not be great if they were still selfish and self-serving, that he knows that his remembrance of them He knows what he is remembering of them is only possible because of their salvation through Christ, through the work on the cross. And he says, he thanks God in all his remembrances of you, of the church. Now, it's very easy, it's very normal for us to Perhaps you went somewhere for Christmas. Perhaps your flight was canceled. Perhaps you 
talked to somebody on the phone. Perhaps over the last year you went to a birthday party or a dinner or invited over to somebody's house. It's very easy to go somewhere else and then to come back home and to remember, oh, this person said that bad word. Oh, this person said that bad thing. Oh, I should have said this to correct them. To think about all the difficult and bad things that happened at the meeting. Now you say, well, Paul probably had no bad experiences in Philippi. If you look in the book of Acts, Paul goes to the, the town of Philippi to plant the churches for the first time. And there was a young girl who was demon-possessed and a fortune teller. And she had managers or owners that would sell her services to tell the fortune of people. And her managers were getting very rich over her work because of her demon-possessed ability to give some sort of fortune, whether it was true or not. And so this young lady's really bothering Paul and Silas, like harassing them, annoying them. And so Paul turns around and casts the demon out, which is a great thing. You say, that's a great thing. You got to cast the demons out. You don't want to be demon-possessed. And so the young girl is free for the first time in perhaps a very long time, but her agents, her managers, go to the magistrate and get Paul thrown in jail because he destroyed their business. So they got him in jail because he was an economic threat to the town. And then he snuck out and he gets out and, I mean, all these various things in the book of Acts. And then you come to the book of Philippians and he goes, all of his remembrances are good. How can this be? I'll tell you how this can be. He chooses to remember the good things. We'll talk about how he makes that choice, but he has all sorts of remembrances in his mind. He has all sorts of thoughts about what he did in Philippi. And he chooses to pick this good one, that good one, that good one, that good one, and dismiss the rest. Does that mean the bad things didn't happen? No. The bad things happened, but he's choosing in his mindset to focus on the positive to focus on the good. You might say, well, then he's putting on rose-colored glasses. No, he's putting on God-colored glasses. Because when God looks at us, God doesn't get out the checklist and go, oh, wow, you did this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. God does not enumerate our sins. If we are in Christ, all of our sins are forgiven, and when God looks at you, he only sees the good. It's very easy for us to look at ourselves and look at all of our foibles and all of our mistakes and all of our... God doesn't see that. Your sins are as far as the east is from the west, which means you can't get there if you think about that. They're also in the deepest sea. God does not remember them. God, who is omniscient and knows everything 
does not remember your sin. So why would Paul, why would I remember other people's sins against me if God's not going to do it? And that is why Paul can say this. He can say in all his remembrances, it's good because he's looking at them through the eyes of Christ, through the work of Christ. And this is an obvious Christian attitude that we should have with one another, is that when we're with one another, we have a conversation, we go back home, our remembrance should be that that person is a chosen child of God, that that person is the delight of God, the apple of God's eye. God only has good thoughts about them, and therefore, I should. Therefore, I should say, wow, that was a good talk. There were some bad things, but they don't matter. The good things were they're growing in Christ, or they gave me a good idea, or they gave me a good recipe for cookies, or something, some good things we collect the good things in one another. And if we do that over time, then when I remember this person or that person, if I go to a funeral and I remember May Cuff, if I go and, and, and get a call from somebody I haven't talked to in a long time, I'm in the practice of remembering the good stuff. And I'm happy to hear them. I'm happy to remember. Because I only remember the good stuff. He then says, Always in every prayer of mine for all you making my prayer with joy. That's kind of a sideways sort of sentence. Always in every prayer, you have to ask the question, was Paul praying all the time? You have to remember he was writing this in prison. And in old Roman prisons, you didn't have activities or weight rooms or things like that. They chained you to a guard or they put a log across your legs and they just let you sit there. And if your friends did not bring food, you didn't have any food. And so Paul, perhaps in this situation did pray all the time. He really had nothing else to do. I think for us to see that it is a regular prayer time is a good thing for a Christian to have. <coughs> As I said before, <coughs> I require lists to pray. There are enough things that people have asked me to pray for that I write them down. And I get out my list and I pray through it. I know a family that has family prayer and they collect a lot of prayer requests such that their list is so long they can't really do it in one night. So they do uh, pastors and missionaries on Monday, for example. They do family on Tuesday and they pray through different things each night of the week. It's, it's regular prayer. I think God says, great job when we do that, when we remember. I think especially as 
we're all getting older, the more we try to keep things in our head of what I'm supposed to pray for, I'm going to forget. So for me, for my own sanity, I do write them down and I pull out a list when I pray and I pray through the list. Paul didn't have, you know, a phone or a book to write in or anything like that. He probably kept a lot of the stuff in his head, but he was a brilliant guy anyway. And so as he's praying, every time he prays, he looks and the sun's going down and it says, it's time for my evening prayer. He will include the Philippian church. Sun comes up in the prison and he says, oh, it's time for the morning prayer. He will include the Philippian church. That's not all he's praying about. I'm sure he prayed for the salvation of Friends that he knew, family that he has that rejected Christ. Uh, but in this, he is including a statement or two about the church at Philippi. Perhaps people he, who he met were important to him. He would pray for them specifically. Uh, we know that Timothy is with him. Perhaps Timothy brought news from Philippi of a sickness or an injury. And he's praying for that. He's praying whatever he knows to pray about. And if he doesn't know to pray about things, there's always something to pray about. There are people who have, who have asked me to pray for them and I have no specific need. So my prayer is for wisdom and growth in Christ. I can always Pray for wisdom for somebody. That is a biblical prayer. We are told to pray for wisdom. I'm supposed to pray for wisdom for me. I'm supposed to pray for wisdom for you. And in doing that, God can always use a prayer like that. I may not know the health concerns or the finance concerns or the family concerns, but everybody can use a little more wisdom so that whatever situation they're in, they know how to handle it better. And so for a group of people in my prayer list where I just know their name but I don't know situation, I pray wisdom and I pray growth in Christ because these are good prayers no matter what. And if I'm praying for somebody else, that is called intercession. If I am standing before God bringing your request... I am interceding. That is called intercession, praying for others. In the Bible, there's only one person who has the full-time job of intercession, and that's Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he sits at the right hand of God, and what is he doing? He's not playing tiddlywinks, okay? He's interceding for you, and he doesn't have to have a list. Because he doesn't forget, and he knows exactly what your needs are, whether you ask him, tell him or not. He knows what to pray for you, and he is <coughs> Excuse me. He knows exactly what to pray for you, and he knows how to pray the best way for you. And if we can stand with Christ, if I can stand with Christ praying for you, and you can stand with Christ, praying for me, then our remembrances and thoughts about one another will become clearer. The more I pray biblically for somebody, 
the less chance I have of having a grudge for them, of having hate for them, of having bad thoughts about them, the more I biblically pray for somebody, my attitude will be changed to remember good things and to love one another. And if we're all praying for one another in a church, we are growing in love. Then he says in five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now that is a partnership in the gospel is loaded. If you look at commentaries and statements about this, people will take this verse, verse 5, and write pages about it. Because participating in the gospel is deep. One commentator said this is what it includes. It includes a fellowship of grace. I am saved by grace. You are saved by grace. Why don't I treat you with some grace? Why don't you treat me with some grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is goodness that I don't deserve. Grace is being kind when I don't deserve it. When I am being mean and you're being kind, that is grace. And we are a grace people. We are saved by grace. We live by grace. We go by grace. And I have the same grace as you. And so when I work with you in the church, in the gospel, we can all work in the power of grace because that is how God works. We are also in a fellowship of faith. We are saved by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. We can say, oh, well, I saw God do this, or I heard God do that. Yes, that happens. But generally speaking, we read the Bible, we say, oh, look, i got to do this, and we do it without seeing, without Jesus showing up and handing me instructions. We walk by faith. We believe God exists. We believe Christ did the work. We believe things, and as that, we can work together. We have a fellowship of prayer and thanksgiving. The loving church is a praying church. The loving church is a church of thanksgiving. We need to thank God for what he has done. We need to thank each other for what each other is doing, for how you are building into my life. It is a fellowship of love. The whole basis of Christianity is that God so loved the world. It is a fellowship of meeting needs. The New Testament is full of taking care of one another. When people say, I'm not going to go to church because I don't need it. Well, they don't understand what they really need or not. To come to a community that is not based on worldly values but is based on God and God's eternal truth is something that you're not going to find out there at that club or this bar or that restaurant. You're only going to find it in a church. It is a fellowship of promoting the gospel. Christianity is actually the only of the world's major religions who wants everybody to join. 
you look at Hinduism, Buddhism, Muslim, uh, all the ones that are out there, they just want to grow by having more kids in the religion. We actually want all those people out there to be saved. We actually want all those people out there to come to church. It is a great thing for a church to have more and more people coming to it because that shows that the gospel is working. And ultimately, our point, once we're saved, is to get others saved. It is also a fellowship of uh, separation from the world. The word church means called out ones. Called out of what? Called out of the world. The world's over here. God says, I want you, I want you, I want you into the church and we're out of the world. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. We are not worldly. We are God-centered. We are Christ-centered. And we, sit, we serve separated from the world. And last, it is a fellowship of spiritual warfare. Being separate from the world and being different from the world means the world doesn't like you, means the world doesn't like us. And so we must be involved in spiritual warfare. The two biggest tools of spiritual warfare is Bible study and prayer. If we are up on our Bible reading and Bible study and we're caught up in our prayer, then spiritual warfare just takes care of itself. He then says, uh, participation of the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. <coughs> We are looking at, we are planning for the return of Jesus Christ. And I can look at me, and I can look at you, and I can see God working, but God's not done yet. There used to be a pin that went around that said, please be patient, God is not finished with me yet. That is from this verse. It is the understanding that God does not complete everything at the day of your salvation. At the day of your salvation, he begins the work. And the work continues. And we can participate or we can resist it. We can do, you know, doesn't mean we're not saved. It just means that we're doing it faster or we're doing it slower. And God knows all about our problems with sanctification and what he's doing. But there will come a day when Jesus Christ returns. And on that day, boom, your 2% sanctification will go up to 100 in the twinkling of an eye. When we are glorified, I believe, we are going to be shocked at how godly we are. We're going to be shocked how righteous we are because we will finally be not by faith but by sight and we shall truly be um, fully righteous in the eyes of God. And so Paul has that view of the church at Philippi. He's saying, 
Yeah, you're great people because this is where you're going. You're not there yet, but you're going there. And so I'm going to be kind and generous and gentle and compassionate and loving because I know where you're going. The same way we should treat one another. He then says, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me in the grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. And so, holding it in his heart, there's a phrase that is bouncing around the news. It is top of mind. And the Philippian church was top of mind to Paul that when everything seemed to remind him of them, everything seemed to to bring him to a place of thanking God for him because he had such affectionate views for them. Just like we should have affectionate views for one another. And he says in verse 8, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. He wants to go back to them. He is prevented from going back to them. But he wants to go back to them. He has an affection. He has a yearning. He's not blaming God for keeping him in prison. He is just keeping good thoughts about the Philippian church with a desire to see them grow, with a desire to keep them in the gospel, for them to desire to share the gospel throughout the town of Philippi. And eventually, uh, all those people in Philippi and Paul himself are now just having a great old time in heaven, praising God for what he has done in Paul's life and what he is doing in the church of Philippi, and this is the, the view, the mindset that we need to have for other Christians, that we need to have for others in the church, is an understanding that we're growing and an affection that when it's all said and done and we're all in heaven, we can all remember just the good stuff and praise God for all eternity. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we just thank you for your mighty work to save Paul and to save the church at Philippi and to save us and to bring us to the final anticipation of the return of Christ. I pray that you would keep us on track, that you would keep us steadfast and on the narrow path until you come again, and I pray that we would have love and affection for those who are on the path for us. We ask all this in the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.